0: Hello and welcome to the Right Dishonorable podcast, as truthful as resources permit. Jazza, how often do you think about Rishi's net zero policies? (laughs) That, for, no one knows the conversation that we've
1: just had, Jimmy. Hello, uh, listener. It's kind of
0: a cold opener, but without appearing like a cold opener.
1: It is a cold opener without appearing like a cold opener. Basically, we were talking about that, um, how often do you think about the Roman Empire meme, and... Now Jimmy has replaced the Roman Empire with something equally destruct- destructive, and that is Rishi Sunak's <laughs> attitudes towards green policies. Um, how often do I think about it? I just
0: feel like the everything's a bit shit, isn't it? I, I, you just did sort of a drive-by cancelling of the Roman Empire, um, which means I—I
1: uh, that- I don't know. I think lots of people like yes, civilization, but also <laughs>
0: death. What well, what did the Romans ever do for us?
1: What did the Romans ever do for us? And yeah, it... like, uh, like, I actually quite like winding roads. Oh.
0: Wow. I mean, don't you
1: think, don't you, you're sometimes on the M1 and you're like, this is a bit, this is long, straight and boring.
0: As as previously discussed on the Right Dishonorable, I don't drive a car. Drive. So... Well,
1: yeah, so your opinion is void. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Right Dishonorable podcast. Oh. Uh, uh, i'm jazza he's jimmy we talk about politics whenever we want um <laughs> it's true this this, this week <laughs> we um who needs a schedule when the world is on fire and will be more on fire very soon um oh, apart from vishy sunak's uh disregard of the future of humanity
0: what else are we talking about this week jimmy well, I, I feel we should give some listeners a bit more context about Rishi Sunak. Um, oh, go on. Man. Well, he's he's given the speech. Um, I, I think he was due to do it at the Conservative Party conference, which is happening at the start of October. Um, but there was a leak of the the gist of the speech to the BBC, so he uh, he announced the policies sooner. But basically, he's rolling back on a couple of green commitments uh, from the UK government. I think the headline one is this move towards electric vehicles. So car manufacturers are expected to only sell electric vehicles, new electric vehicles by 2030, and that's going to be 2035. And he's he's pushed back on a, a couple of other net zero commitments. I, I think this is in the context of the Uxbridge election, where the Tories managed to hold on to Boris Johnson's old seats, partly by opposing ULEZ, or at least that is the a story that is uh is wrapped around that particular by-election um so he's he's gone hard on not doing net zero uh, or I, I say gone hard he's just sort of moved back a bit from it and i guess he's hoping that that will convince voters that uh, you know he's he's on their side as per the cost of living crisis we're gonna talk about whether that makes any sense um in the first segment of the podcast um Jazzy, do you want to introduce the second segment? Because I I know you're going to have explosive opinions about this one. Uh,
1: It's more... It's less explosive. And I'm more just... Why did anyone allow Suella Braverman anywhere near a position of power? Because she is just awful. Um... (sighs) She did a speech in the United States uh, basically saying, hey, there's too many people can now be classified as refugees. Um, and it, there's this uh, uh, like rule that we all signed up for that's making it very inconvenient for me to um, to not <laughs> accept refugees. Um, uh, oh, by the way, also, if you're gay, you can't claim refugee status. That's not enough. Um It's so for context. Like I, I am quite invested in um, LGBTQ plus refugees. I've done, I did like a documentary in in the past, and I've um, uh, worked behind the scenes at a few charities who help LGBTQ refugees um, uh, uh, seek asylum in um, various countries across Europe. Um, And it is quite heartbreaking that. a process that is already very hostile to and and um, uh, ungenerous to people who are claiming refugee status based on their gender or sexual identities um also old sexual preference identities uh that that is now on suella brotherman's bonfire uh so yeah i think it's bad what i what i do think is really interesting though is i think that speech which i which is really really long i haven't read it all jimmy i'll be completely (laughs) honest thank you for sharing it to me um it does really clearly lay out like her um philosophical and uh intellectual foundation that i don't think justifies but does explain
0: why she is so goddamn awful um, See, so yeah, I think she comes across so as, as quite reasonable in the speech, so I think oh, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to we're going to clash a little bit on that. Um, the last thing that we were oh, going to how about. exciting! So Jazza branded this a kind of conservative <laughs> special when we were discussing the the running order for these topics, and mm-hmm. uh, I think both the the first two actually feed into the last one, which is there have been various murmurings around the potential for a spring general election. So the the strongest indication I've heard is that. Various senior people from the Labour and Conservative parties have basically indicated to Andrew Marr, currently of the New Statesman, that they think there's going to be a spring general election. And there was also a news report in The Sun which um, said that some local councils have also been told to make preparations for a an election early next year. Um, I don't think this is like definitive but um, generally parliaments in the UK run for an average of four years even though you have to call a general election before five years but four years seems to be the most common time frame so a lot of stuff is adding up to there being a general election and I guess we're going to discuss where the main parties are um, who we think is going to win although I don't think it's going to be any surprise to the listeners given our previous comments on that Um, and you know whether we're looking forward to another one as uh, Brenda from Bristol would say not another one icon <laughs> all right should we play some music talk about the patron and get into the main episode
1: we shall Friends, Jazza here. You will notice that we don't run ads on this podcast, and that's because we're just too damn controversial, also too damn small. Therefore, we rely on our generous patrons to be able to keep the lights on here and keep this podcast going. Thank you so much to all of you, to Dominique, Gemma, Matt, Ollie, Agatha, John. Dermot, David, Michael, Andrew, David, Alexander, Jer, Nick, Marlene, Seb, Elona, Theo, Taha, Nick, Michael, Alice, Wilhelmina, Ubal, and Archie, for all of your really amazing, thank you so much, you're all awesome, you're lovely, and you get to get an extra podcast, an extra topic this week, where we're going to talk about Russell Brand. The rest of you who aren't patrons won't get to hear us talk about Russell Brand. Outstanding content. Alright, on with the show now. Right, Jimmy, um, you said that this, uh... Suella Braverman origin story on why she hates refugees um, sounded quite sensible and balanced. I think Apparently, was an, inter- an
0: interesting gloss on, that, on what I said. Well, uh, we should we, we should flag to the audience that you've not gone crazy. Jazza has just decided to reverse the order that we outlined at the in the introduction. To yeah, this because I so think we, it
1: would flow better. Deal yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I I just don't want them to think. Whoa, what happened to that whole segment on Rishi Net Zero? That's what I was really here for. Yeah,
1: it'll come next. <laughs> you impatient bastards, um, Jimmy. It's, it, um. Explain.
0: So I love you, like... love
1: you, love you so much. Explain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like Jazza, Have not. I mean, I, I've I've kind of skimmed through the the whole of the speech, and I've read, read news reports. I think it does make a one coherent point, which is quite important, which is that actually the general breadth of the terms around the uh, the UN Refugee Convention and how it's evolved over the decades since it was signed um, in 1951. Um, if, you, if you if you take it literally, it's not workable as a refugee policy because too many people would qualify for asylum. I, there's this figure that um, she gives somewhere in her speech where it says that there's, I think, 40 million people who might qualify for asylum in the UK, and the UK has a population of somewhere between 65 and 70 million at the moment. Yeah, but um, that
1: is obviously ridiculous, isn't
0: it? well i'm just saying that in in general terms the policy is very broad and actually the countries that would be accepting uh, it would be potential destinations for asylum seekers i largely the west um, can't actually fulfill these commitments and I, I i think that point is true and is is kind of unarguable um i mean we're, we're going to go into some of the specific details i think but i think she's probably right about that like the it doesn't really make sense the way this has evolved Um, And, you know, the point she makes about, you know, if people are going to, if if refugees are going to save countries, I mean, the the obvious example for Britain is if you've got a refugee who's gone to France, they are no longer fleeing persecution because France is not a country that persecutes Mm -hmm. people. Um, If they try and then move across to the UK, that is inappropriate in a sense. I mean, you, you have to balance that. On the other side, you know, the UK shouldn't be dodging its fair share of refugees just because it's an island and it's slightly more difficult to get to than somewhere like Italy, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there is another side to it and I'm not fully endorsing Suella Braverman's view, but the the, the top line that actually people have, have seized on, um, that the, you know, the way that the UN handles, the UN Refugee Convention should probably be reworked in some way. I think that's true.
1: I... I'm okay with there being these definitions that are deliberately broad because there are potentially so many different reasons why someone is is fleeing a country for legitimate reasons. If there is contention there, then it should be hashed out in the courts of whatever country they are seeking asylum in and the UN Convention should be something that is taken into consideration there that is a foundation of those cases and informs those cases. It is obviously hyperbolic nonsense for Suella Brotherman to suggest. I think at one point she suggests nearly a billion people could qualify as being um, refugees uh, uh, under kind of like the way that she is um, defining what a refugee is, like in the most liberal version of the interpretation of the... Um, convention and that's obviously not what is happening if she were really serious about reducing, well, about having a more workable uh, and a fairer and more accurate uh, refugee and asylum system uh, she would be funding a system so that it isn't as backlogged as it is this is just I, I and, and to be fair I have No doubt that she uh, uh, sincerely believes all of these views, but she is uh, using the most, and something that the Conservative Party of late has been so happy to do, using um, the most vulnerable in our society to be able to swill up hate. Because when when have we ever heard, on kind of like in similar forums, in equivalent forums, the experiences of refugees who are going through these processes we don't because you can talk about them in the system that we have and they have no way of being able to defend themselves because they don't have a voice and so it's very easy for people in suella braverman's position to be able to scapegoat them and to say whatever they want about them
0: see i think you've just taken the conventional progressive view of suella braverman and just applied it to this speech and I I think if you read the speech that's not an appropriate way to respond to it because the speech actually is as you as you said in the intro it det it sort of logically details at least as its own internal logic how she's come to her views and what her views are Mm -hmm. um she I mean she's just really saying that there should be some sort there is she's saying that we do not have unlimited obligations to asylum seekers and refugees And I think that there are, I mean, I don't know if this would be your view, but um, there are certainly people on the left in British politics who I think do believe we have unlimited obligations. They do not set, they do not put any limits at all on our potential obligations to asylum seekers and refugees. And I I think that that's at the heart of this debate really, isn't it? Is that some people think there should be a limit. I would actually, I would be on that side. And then some people think there should be no limit.
1: I kind of don't, Really, I think that as soon as you put like a numerical limit on something like this, it becomes arbitrary and pointless because there are always going to be phenomena that happen in the world that are going to be stronger push factors from countries where people are fleeing based on war, based on climate change, based on um, uh, economic push factors, based on a whole swathe of things and as soon as you say we're only going to take we can only uh take x number that ends up reverse engineering the whole process but and, re- I do, reali- and, and but i do but i do agree that realistically there are going to be limits to the amount of um stuff that we can actually process but there is also the system that we have at the moment is so stretched and not fit for purpose that uh, of course we have a system that isn't able to process any significant number of refugees because they have no interest in processing um, and this system actually working properly. Um, and that is, I think, where Suela Allabravenan's argument in this speech is quite disingenuous because she's artificially manufacturing a system that doesn't have any give and isn't interested in taking any significant number of refugees. Like you said, a fair share... Of the UK's obligations,
0: I mean, I I think that's a a general criticism about her her approach to asylum seekers and refugees that I would agree with. I mean, the I think the 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 Kafkaesque example is that to claim asylum in the UK, you have to be in the UK. You can't do it remotely, but you can't actually get into the UK through legitimate routes because those have been blocked off, and that's one of the reasons why people try and cross the channel on boats. So, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I I think it's almost what what I would compare it to is the situation you got. I'm going to I'm going to bring up the Brexit thing again. I'm afraid, Jazza. um, But that's where you had where where you had two sets of hardliners. You had the hard Brexiteers and then you had people who effectively wanted to nullify the referendum on the other side and Mm -hmm. keep Britain in the EU. And because they were both pushing for exceedingly extreme um, outcomes, it was difficult to fight like they weren't giving anything to the other side. So I think it would be easier to actually, politically speaking, I think it would be easier to create a fair process for legitimate asylum seekers, um, however you want to quali- qualify legitimate, if, if people actually agree that there should be some sort of limit on the amount of asylum seekers. And I don't, from people who are very, who are, you know, campaign uh, on improving things for asylum seekers and refugees... I don't get the sense that they actually want to concede that point to people like Suella Braverman, that, that they don't actually want to set any sort of sensible limit. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's one of the reasons why the British public are broadly quite sceptical about these kind of things. Do you see what I mean?
1: Sure. I don't know, but I, I, I just don't think a... I see, I, I see the point that you are making, but I don't think a
0: hard limit is very useful or practical. But but no, it's impractical not to have a hard limit, because there is a limit on the number of people that, say, the UK can house... Like, practically speaking, but, but, I know you can always build more houses, but realistically speaking, there's only a certain number of houses yeah, but, that are going to get but, built in a given year. There's, yeah, a, but, there's a limit to the housing size. But,
1: but, Jimmy, there isn't a limit to the to the number of people that could be fleeing a country. Like, well, you well, can't well, say so, we are, we're only going to take X number of people. That isn't going to then mean, oh, we're only going to have X number of people enter into the country by whatever means. Like, that we don't have control over what the input of that t- of that number is and so to me it seems really silly for us to have an a, a number however we decide to get to it as the goal that we end up having here because
0: we have no control over how many people actually apply so i i agree with you i th- i think that's true and i think that so but does that mean from your point of view that we just take we just sort of, as you say, we don't, you know, you don't necessarily want a limit. We just take however many need to be taken. I,
1: th- I think that we
0: should assess each the um,
1: uh, uh, asylum application uh, in good time and fairly. Because at the moment, I don't think we have good enough data to really understand how many people are, uh, quote unquote, are, are, are making... Um, uh, asylum claims that are actually going to go through and be accepted by UK by the UK system because people are being are just having to wait and be put on barges or flown out to uh, Rwanda or wherever the hell it mm. is
0: yeah I mean I, I think some of those solutions as you say they've been they've been kind of ridiculous although it does appear as though the, the Rwanda policy yeah, well, probably is, looks like it is might going, go through it's going to be implemented, despite the uh, various legal wranglings over it. I I do think you're slightly avoiding the hard number of the question, though. Which, if you agree that there is a practical limit to the number of people we can take, then, in a sense, it's you know, it's almost it's almost irrelevant whether you have those those kind of extreme situations they say like a war breaks out in a country that creates Mm -hmm. a huge number of refugees that you couldn't have predicted for Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing if you agree that there is a practical limit on the number of refugees that you know whether it's the uk france italy germany whatever country you're talking about can take then that is the limit do you not see unless the government is actually willing to make some concessions elsewhere i.e reduce spending on some other policy so that they can redirect spending or do you see what i mean yeah yeah, but I think uh, uh, the reason
1: that I don't—I'm I, not sure what you think a, a hard answer to this is going to be—but I think it's too complicated to come up with a hard answer um, uh, because actually, there—I don't think there is a with the will. There is a way of being able to provide asylum to these to these people. So I see,
0: see I, I think this is you know what people sometimes refer to as magical thinking. Like that, I mean, you you can't just will the resources into being to actually house people, educate people, provide a, adequate policing. You know, there, there are you know trade offs, right? Like yeah, in politics yeah, 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 hundred percent.
1: Yeah, exactly. But uh, how do we make those trade offs? I think it's too complicated a well, that, question. That, no, that's that's and, politics. And, and so either... politics is is the yeah, business yeah, yeah. of making trade offs, right? Yeah, so... yeah, I agree. But Jimmy, I'm I I am not here deciding what the tra- those trade offs are um the the problem that i see in the system that is there at the moment is that the whole system is not fit for purpose because it isn't even incentivized into processing the appropriate number of people um that is the initial problem that needs to be solved beyond uh, like and then after we have kind of like a system that actually is able to take the amount of applications that we have at the moment and properly assess them then I feel like we'd be able to properly make a decision about quote-unquote how many people we take and what our capacity is and what kind of compromises we want to make what kind of investments need to be made where the money needs to go etc but at the moment the problem is so severe at just kind of like our ability to process anything and the incentives the fact that people are incentivized to take a rickety boat across the channel in order to get here to take several several rickety boats um uh, to risk their them and their families lives to do it shows that the actual processes that should be in place are not in place because people are taking those extreme decisions
0: so so i i think the thinking behind um bravo uh, you know you can, You can argue you know how responsible Brahman is actually for this, but the the problems we've outlined and other people have outlined about the inability to prog- uh, to process um, refugees and and other migrants in various ways. I think the thinking behind that is that if you if you create a system that can't process large numbers, that in, in itself is a deterrent factor, right? like the, the The more Britain actually improves its ability to process these people, The more attractive it it becomes to come to the UK, so actually the Conservatives are effectively creating a or or they're reducing the pull factor. But it's it's it's
1: creating really extreme consequences that we see played out regularly on people attempting to cross the Channel, right? Like that that is another consequence of it. Yeah, like yes, we have fewer people applying for asylum. In the quote-unquote appropriate channels but if you Mm. take away the ability for people to be able to do that then they take extreme steps to be able to actually uh, to be able to have like the uh, UN convention apply to them which is often putting their lives at risk
0: I I guess so but that and so like
1: yeah. yeah they're trying to they're trying to create kind of like a a market force where the system doesn't work. So nobody engages with the system, but that mm. then creates the really horrific cost to human life and the, um, things that put pressure on places like, uh, on where these, um, uh, where people who are uh, taking boats across, uh, like either the Mediterranean or the, um, uh, English channel on the communities that end up, uh, taking those, uh, well, those, yeah, the, place, the, the, the places where people
0: land and yes and, and so on yeah um i mean that that is that is true but ultimately that would also be true if if you know talk about the, the mediterranean situation if the eu and the eu member states actually set a limit on how many people they, they wanted to take and you know that limit might fluctuate year on year but you know they've they say they've decided this is how many people we want to take once you've done that even if you set up a legitimate working system there are going to be people who try and break those rules i mean that is just the nature of I mean, we're kind of talking about crime here i suppose in a sense like if you if you set up a legitimate system and that has a capacity and that capacity is met some people are going to take the, illegit- the illegitimate route and i don't think it discredits having a legitimate limit do you see what i mean
1: yeah i think it i i i don't i don't know how we get to the setting of a limit like that that disincentivizes illegal routes because it is clear even as there has been all of this posturing from the uk government and Suella well it is clear that it has no effect on the number of people who choose to put their lives i, at I, risk. I don't
0: i don't think that's clear at all there
1: has been no change over the last year, and in, in fact, the number of boats going across the channel increased this year, didn't it?
0: Um, it has increased, but I mean, I, this is this is well, this is, the, this is the, the, the example I would I would use is that um, if you're eating too much, you will you will gain weight. If you eat slightly less, you will continue to potentially continue to gain weight if you're still taking too many calories, but you will gain weight at a lower rate. So the fact the numbers have gone up does not mean the numbers of people crossing the channel has gone up does not mean that the measures the Tories have taken have had no impact. Do you see what I mean? Because there are other factors feeding into the situation. Hmm. So I, I, no, I don't think it's clear. I think to, to, to figure out whether it was clear or not, you would have to look at all the factors. So if you think the push factors have gone up.
1: So do, what do you think are the effects of the posturing that the Tories have done? You think there has been an effect? You think people are deciding not to leave their countries? You think people are deciding not to... Wonder, uh, when they're in the camps at Calais, you think that they're deciding to not
0: get on the, the boat? I think there are people who will have decided not to get on the boat looking at the numbers of people that are dying. Yes, I think there, there are people who have made that decision. Because of course you would. there would be some people who made that decision. God, how you know depressing!
1: Pe- how depressing, Jimmy. We've had to let people sink to the bottom of the English Channel to be able to deter people to do that. Is there not a better way that we can do it, other than let people die? How how depressing is that?
0: Well, no, I mean if, we've got to sacrifice
1: said, people at like the at the temple of like my borders have to be strong or whatever it is. Like well, I, I mean, think the, I think that's grossly immoral.
0: I don't. I mean, I think that's I, disgusting. If we're talking about who is responsible for for people dying, I mean, you can look. It's the smugglers. The smugglers, to some degree, but. People are freely making these decisions to get on these boats.
1: Yeah, why? Because we haven't given them a viable option. And be- I mean, because we are actively, and you said, we're actively incentivizing those options that would save their lives, potentially, to not work. And so whose fault I, is it that those people are, are feel forced into taking those uh decisions part well, of it part of it falls on the UK government and their
0: policy I, I so I don't think I can accept that they're not forced to take the decisions they choose to take the decisions they are in France yeah you know i think the argument would apply if they Sure escaping... nobody's forcing
1: anybody to do anything but um uh, that they are because fl- of that because of their lack they're of not, they are not they are not
0: fleeing France they are not fleeing France but there's France so is, there's France so many complicated, dangerous places
1: then why the hell are they getting on the? Why are they getting on the boats, Jimmy?
0: Because they think they will survive, and because yeah, they, they, have made, they, w- they have made they've they've made a risk calculation that it is worth the risk in order to get to the UK, which they think in some respect is better for them. Yeah. So they think the risk is worthwhile.
1: And we could be saving those lives that end up that we end up losing if we had legitimate routes for them.
0: i so again if there is a limit to those legitimate routes there are still some people who would choose to take an illegitimate route
1: sure but if we give more options to be able to actually make it so that people can apply for asylum appropriate in the as they say in the appropriate channels then that would mean that fewer people died
0: probably but it would still mean some people would die would you still be as outraged if there were any number of people dying in channel in illegitimate channel crossings yeah but, but so this I is don't i don't think
1: people should die <laughs> like as a full stop and i think i'm i'm pretty okay with that being my stance on this
0: so 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 this is this is the point i was trying to get to earlier is that but actually, we should think minimize it, it in practical terms i don't think you that you think there should be any limits on asylum seekers or refugees coming to the uk because you're not willing to actually countenance any of the practicalities involved I think, do, you, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, you know. but
1: uh, but I'm I'm telling you, I don't I don't know how to get to a number that is appropriate. I don't. I just I just do not know.
0: But it, all but if I you're, want is to reduce saying, the
1: number of people who are dying in this way.
0: If you're saying that you're not willing to accept any number of deaths involved in illegal migration to this country, then in practice, you do not think there should be any barriers, which means that you think there should be unlimited migration into this country. That's that's the that's the practical effect of what you're saying.
1: I think you're making a few large broad strides there from the reaction I have to this to I believe that there should be um, no borders or whatever. And like I I, 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 I don't I I don't have enough of the information and actually to be completely honest i don't think you have enough information to be able to decide what a limit what that limit should look like what i see is an immediate problem with the system that is uh in place at the moment and i want that to look like a viable option for as many people as possible so that people feel like they don't have to put their lives at risk in the way that they do like, that is the thing that I think we should be
0: focusing on rather than talking about bloody limits. But it, it is an argument about limits, fundamentally. If you're not if you're not willing to address the fact that it is an argument about limits, then yeah, sure, you can fix some of those short-term problems, I agree. You can make it easier for people to come to the UK for legitimate routes. That's absolutely some stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. I don't think it engages with the wider argument as Suella Braverman has outlined. And actually, I think it's an argument that people not, not everyone but a large portion of the british public agree with because the british public do want there to be limits on migration whether it's you know uh, economic migration or refugee related migration yeah sure so and this uh, this was the point again come back to the point to the point i made at the start i don't think from people who advocate for you know making it easier for refugees to come into this country i don't think they're willing to grapple with that element of the argument and i think it isn't a, a, something that braverman is grappling with despite all her other failings that we've, we've listed. But I'm not saying she, she's a great person.
1: But has she... Good. Um, yeah. But I don't think that she's... She's literally in the position where she would be able to make those kinds of decisions. Like yes, there are. She she feels constrained well, by well, the fact I, I that don't we've think, up to the, UN UN to the I don't think she can withdraw. I
0: don't think she can withdraw from the UN Refugee Convention. I don't think she can do that. And I think she sees that as in or reforming the Refugee Convention. She sees as a necessary step in order to actually fix the general problems. This is the point of this speech, right? Is that yeah. she thinks that that needs to change for her in order for her to do what she wants.
1: What does she, and what does she want? She hasn't said that she the limit that
0: she would put on it well no she's actually said that it's very difficult to come to an actual numerical figure but she does think there should be some limit in order to because she's a she's an integrationist. she thinks
1: look at me and suella agreeing <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's leave it there you know i can i can clip that for clip that for youtube
1: um. <laughs> yeah good luck um uh jimmy are you going to tell me that you agree with all of the measures that rishi sunak has made to reduce the uh ambitiousness of the um path to net zero for the uk economy
0: no i don't i think all of this stuff is incredibly dumb um oh I thank don't, god i, don't, I think don't
1: think i had the energy the for another argue. 20 minutes again
0: <laughs> so i don't so, the, the electric vehicle mandate is that, or the net zero emissions mandate is the one I'm, I'm most familiar with because I recently, recently wrote something about it. Um, and so, basically, there was this commitment that uh, the UK had had, had implemented and, and got a car manufacturer to sign up for, where by 2030, they would only produce for sale new vehicles that had net zero emissions in practice. This basically just means electric vehicles, as far as I understand it. Um, it was going to the proportion of electric vehicles the car manufacturers had to make was going to ratchet up year on year, starting in twenty twenty four. So it wasn't going to be immediately one hundred percent, but it was going to going to grow over time. They've effectively changed the deadlines; they're pushing it back to twenty thirty five when it's going to be one hundred percent. So they've they've slowed it. I mean, this has pissed off Ford. Are quite annoyed about this, uh, which entertained me greatly. Um, i can't remember I think, who it was who said this but someone on the
1: bbc said um it is something quite special when you have united
0: the car companies and the green party against you yes I, yeah I, I did read that quote and it's funny. i mean to be fair there are some car companies that have actually welcomed the change i guess because they weren't as well prepared yeah, as sure. their rivals <laughs> um i will say and um, i'm not saying there aren't good people who work at car companies or any other large company but um when a company when a company complains about regulation being put pushed back it is always self-interested um and i think the the car companies that were better prepared for this um and you know had implemented the various policies to make it happen are annoyed because they think they will lose some sort of competitive advantage in the marketplace to Mm -hmm. to their rivals so jaguar land rover is is one of the companies that welcomed the delay so you know clearly there they were not as prepared um and there's Undoubtedly massive cynicism involved and um, economic mm-hmm. self-interest. Well,
1: this was the one of the big criticisms of the rollback of these changes is that this... And also this and the... Um, uh, it's still a rumour at the moment, but the rumour of them cutting HS2 in half and making it stop in Birmingham. The fact that um, it makes it really difficult for businesses to be able to plan properly and it puts mm. less faith in the stability of the UK as an economy and a market that they can invest in properly and adhere to the environmental or whatever legislation um, uh, exists. Uh, and that it is that flip-flopping uh, on projects like uh, HS2, on things like the um, petrol and diesel ban, on things like uh, the uh, uh, movement to uh, heat pumps rather than gas boilers mm. that like it's it, beyond the the targets of reducing the country's emissions it makes it really difficult as a as an economy as an and as a business to be able to actually kind of like put faith in what this government and the next government is actually going to follow through with and it's that i mean the idea that uh, like this old um uh uh, idea of the conservatives being like the 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 party of stable government is just for the birds now isn't it Uh, like every from from brexit onwards it's just been absolute chaotic mess
0: yeah um I agree with everything you said, really. Um, oh, that it,
1: feels so good. I'm going <laughs> to clip that and put it on YouTube.
0: That doesn't apply to everything you said for this <laughs> podcast or previous podcasts or future podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just don't... So, so the way this has been interpreted is that Rishi Sunak has done this because he has seen that there is... or he he thinks there's, elec- there's electoral um, gains to be made by rolling back on net zero policies or pro-environmental policies um, in favour of less environmentally friendly policies that, you know, some would argue are economically better. Um, There's obviously people on the other side who say that we should be investing in the green economy because even though it involves upfront costs now, it's beneficial over the long term, uh, both environmentally and economically. Um, But I don't know, I can't... Is is anyone... (sighs) Is any voter going to be like, I wasn't going to vote for the Tories, but now they've now they've cut HS2. Um, you know, I really hate Manchester, so now that he's stuck it to Manchester, um, I'm going to vote for him. I I can't I can't really see it. I mean, I can see it around some of the stuff around heat pumps and stuff that actually you know is of concern to the domestic budgets, the household budgets of, of people. Um, you know, I can I can see why some people voted for the Tories in Uxbridge because uh, the guy campaigned against Ulez, A lot of people are annoyed about Ulez because the costs to them are very tangible and very direct, and I can see why that would change people's votes. But There hasn't know, been bo- a
1: change. There hasn't, it's only been a week, um, but there hasn't really been very much of a change in national polling either since he's done this. But I also don't think this is a national question. This is actually Rishi's attempt at pivoting to stuff that is highly local, And Mm. it is in stuff like Red Wall Seats where green agenda stuff is particularly, is is most contentious. Even though as a nation, we are broadly more enthusiastic about um, green policy and quote-unquote the green agenda than many of our, uh, many equivalent countries and equivalent economies.
0: But I I suppose you could say that People are. I. I. I think this is true. People in general, if you say to them, "Are you in favour of uh, protecting the environment? Are you in favour of having more policies that do that?" In the abstract, people will say yes. I mean, who. Who in the abstract (laughs) is opposed to pro-environmental policies? Quite a. Do you want to come to America? (laughs) Okay. Okay. So so, some libertarian nuts um, in uh, in America and their counterparts in the UK. but it is when it comes to p- specifics and it is when it comes to situations that financially or in other ways disadvantage people. I mean, it's the same argument about house building. Do you think there should be more houses built in the UK? Yes. Do you want them built in your local area? Potentially not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, do, I do see, you know, in that, to that degree, I can see why the Tories have gone with this. But I don't, if this is part of like Rishi Sunak's general platform for a potential general election, I just can't. know, yeah, this seemingly was the 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 policy were the policies he was going to announce at the Conservative Conference uh, at the start of October. I just can't I can't see it being, of massive like a massive sway. I mean, I, I know the cost of living crisis rumbles on, um, and that you know both the parties will still be looking, both the major parties will still be looking to to come up with policies that actually address that in some way. Uh, I'm not really sure how the electric vehicle thing does that. It just seems to. Do you know what I mean? Like the and
1: also a load of Tory voters in the shires uh,
0: are, have invested in electric
1: vehicles because they've got mm. the money to do so. Yeah, um, I think it, I think it is the the, the big thing. Well, first off, I've been really annoyed about the framing of this because the UK has, re- has quote-unquote, we have done better than the rest of the G7 in terms of reducing our emissions at a faster rate than everybody else, but that's because we burned a load of fucking coal for a century um, and our baseline was really... Our baseline of, like, how good is the UK for the economy was incredibly low. Um, uh, and now... Um, and be- because we decol We took coal out of the grid and gases a lot... Uh, uh, cleaner... In the grand scheme of things, compared to coal, mm. gas is a lot cleaner than coal is. Um, we were able to reduce our emissions a lot quicker, but it means that we, because we've taken most of the coal out of the um, grid, is there only one more? There's one coal plant left, or there's one energy was there's one power plant that is coal. I think.
0: I'll I'll take your word for it. I think I so. Yeah.
1: Um. But it means that in terms of like just. Doing that relatively easy step of not burning any more coal, it means that reduction, further reductions are a lot more difficult. Um, and uh, two of the biggest industries that contribute to our um, uh, CO two emissions are um, transport and um, uh, uh, home e- and like uh, home efficiency and like home right. energy. Yeah, and yeah. so these two policies were two of the best. Um, or uh, two of the the best targeted at uh, further reducing our emissions, and yes, they were ambitious. Um, uh, and yes, they are going to be um, uh, affected by kind of like the cost of living to a certain extent. But the thing that I have, In ter- I'm despite everything, Jimmy, I'm a bit of a patriot. I, li- I quite like being British. Oh, yeah. I'm quite pr- proud of being. Um, from this soggy island, um, uh, but it it feels so unambitious to have made these changes, um, uh, and really narrow-minded to make a load of these changes. And I don't understand. I it it smells. It's and we'll get on to election stuff. It smells of desperation, of Rishi Sonak trying to define himself as something other than the each to help out guy
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I mean maybe we should just pivot straight into the general election talk but um i don't know i mean it, it as you say that there's a there's an element of the sort of dismal quality to it it's like oh we weren't going to do these um ambitious uh, climate change targets and now we're we're not going to do them it if, is that really the main message you want to be running into a general election? If that is indeed coming up in in spring, as as uh, people seem to increasingly believe to be the case, surely the message has to be something more positive than that. I mean, I know you can spin some of these and say, well, um, it's a cost of living thing. I mean, that there are costs associated with switching over to electric vehicles and um, and and that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I I, don't, I can't really see. I mean, Rishi Sudak, I think, to me, will always be the eat-out-to-help-up guy, partly because that policy was hilarious, and I, I think I think the... The amount the complete... of
1: lingus that this country embraced because of that policy, <laughs> outstanding.
0: Yeah, um... I think I think uh, people looked into the effects of that policy, and I think the consensus was it just meant that instead of eating meals on Thursday or Friday, people were just more inclined to eat the same meals. But on the Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, I think was when the policy ran across. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know that it actually did provide much of a boost to the hospitality trade. I think it just redistributed the when the meals were being eaten. Um, but I I can't really see what Rishi Sunak is going to run on. I mean, it, it's not even particularly clear to me. I mean, I guess he's vaguely a free market pro business guy. He used to work in finance, but you know, last time round when there was a general election, it was get Brexit done, and there was Boris Johnson there, who is a much more defined personality than Rishi Sunak. And you know, whatever your thoughts about uh, about whether that was good or bad uh, in terms of a policy, it was it was clear what it was about. It was about defeating Jeremy Corbyn. It was about actually implementing Brexit and moving past the 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 endless toing and froing around brexit and you can see easily why that was appealing to certain people certain voters in the uk i can't see what rishi Sunek is going to run on because we've had it, 13 years 14 years it'll be next year of conservative government a lot of it has been a shit show. i think even conservative mm-hmm. party members would have to agree it's been exceedingly chaotic it's been massively directionless since david cameron left office Actually, and it's just been pulled all over the place. I, I mean, maybe I'm saying this from my, uh, you know, ivory tower in metropolitan London um, <laughs> as my in my role as part of the liberal elites. I just I can't see why you'd vote conservative. Like a lot, a lot of people still will. So, but I I can't see what would draw you to them, rather than at least you know at least trying something different. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? At least giving a different person a go.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah man I don't know either and it look I mean I'm still really worried <laughs> um because I think a lot of the, the a lot of the stuff that they are planning on implementing that we know because of leaks uh does work and I worry about the atmosphere that is coming to come out of this there was a, a an article in the um in the FT uh by who was it by who wrote this some bloke
0: um so stephen bush maybe i don't george, think it... george parker i throw some names out <laughs> I... it, do, it, do, it doesn't matter it doesn't... Tell, me, tell me what's in the article it doesn't matter um uh
1: it just kind of like framed uh if we because uh actually green quote-unquote green agenda stuff has been a bipartisan cause like nobody yeah. has disagreed. Yeah. Um, with the direction that c- the that the country has been going in in terms of like the green agenda um uh and if we end up having green policy and the general direction of kind of like green uh of of, of like green industry and whatever if that becomes a politicized uh, like where the line is drawn with politics uh, and if the conservative party especially choose to be on a particular side of green policy uh, then that's just going to i mean it's it'll be terrible for us um and like the environment in for, for the environment in general um for our leadership on the world stage when it comes to these kinds of things um it'll just be really bad and that's what i kind of like worry about is the Second, the, the one of the two main parties in this country choosing to draw their battle lines in places like uh, uh, the Green Agenda, in places like um, uh, investing in infrastructure, refugee rights, trans rights, uh, like education, etc. I worry about those lines being drawn, shifting our Overton window to places where I am certainly less
0: comfortable. Mm. I can't really see the green agenda, if you want to call it that. uh, I don't really
1: want to, but that's what I kept on calling it, Jimmy. Is there a better name for it? I I wasn't criticising you personally. (laughs) No, but I should be. What do I...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't see environmental policies becoming a strongly partisan issue in the UK in the way that it, it has done in the US because I... I think we have fewer nutters in politics. No offence to Americans. You bloody... Um, jo- we just spoke for half an hour about Suella fucking Braverman. Brava- Braverman's unusual, I think. I-, I think part of the reason she riles up K- Remember
1: pretty Patel?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I I think both of them are kind of unusual, and, and I don't think Suella Braverman has said anything particularly Jacob strong R. about Smog. En- environmental policies. He's irrelevant now. You know, we, we we've moved on from most of these people.
1: I think you're living in a fucking Lulu Delali. Like you've just blocked I, I, these people I, I, out. They're I, very I, powerful. <laughs> and they're very influential. that I I I
0: think I think Boris Johnson's cohort is exceedingly well. That's overstating it. I think they're quite uninfluential. Um, I think you l- I w- no. So your 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 thinking is that if let's assume I I think it's fair to assume that the Tories will lose the next general election. It's a question of scale, but <laughs> Ricky Sunak soon at quits uh, as uh, as leader of the Tory party, you know what assistant. I I think
1: it will be difficult for him to quit. Okay. I th- I think that he will resist quitting. On on what and grounds? I d- and I can't wait. Well, because he's young and sexy. Um. Uh Dishy Rishi. Dishy Rishi. Um but I I have a feeling that he's going to try I don't think he's gonna go without a fight.
0: hmm I mean that's true of to be fair, that's true of all leaders, I think. Very very few of yeah. them willingly. Because leave.
1: I I also think it's it's um I'm unsure who takes his place at the moment. You'd think that there would already be people kind of like jostling and positioning themselves, I think Suella Braverman is really the only person who's doing that, and I do not think that moderate Tories are going to allow her to um, become the next leader.
0: I think that so, some moderate Tories, um, or more moderate Tories, I guess, are actually leaving, but there's, there's quite a large number of, of high profile conservatives who've announced they're going to step down at the next general election.
1: Yeah, I think that's so bad, isn't it? Because then it's just the Suellas who are going to be left.
0: So I th- so what I was gonna say I mean let's obviously it is a bit of an assumption that Rishi Sunak uh, exits as Tory leader because he, he can probably say well I've only I've not been in the role that long and I still think that I've got I I mean I think if he loses the general election particularly badly even if arguably it's not really his fault it's actually more about the Tory party and what they've done collectively mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will still pin the blame on him they'll argue that he ran an a, an ineffective general election campaign um i think he'll struggle to stay on i don't think it's impossible but i you know the tendency now is that if you lose a general election as prime minister you you have to you have to stop being leader of your party that's generally how it goes i think there is you know i think it is possible (laughs) may i well jeremy corbyn was not
1: prime minister but he lost and they somehow spun that as a win
0: it, well, it's because they were expected to lose very badly and they actually and they lost, lost less. Yeah. So it, a lot of it is about expectation management. I, that's certainly true. Um, but I, I think it's possible that somebody who, uh, you know, somebody from the, the the far right of the Tory party could become the next leader of the Tory party once Rishi Sunak is out of the way. I think that's definitely po- uh, possible. And I, I think that is the risk that some of these issues become more politicised because the Tories try and define themselves... More in opposition to, uh, you know, the environmental policies that Labour has, has has said it will continue to back and continue to pursue. So I, I do see that as a risk, but I'm not as I'm not as pessimistic as you are, Jazza. Good for you. Yeah.
1: Um, do you reckon? Go on, give me a yes or no. Just a yes or no, please. None of that. None of these long sentences. Uh, do you think that um spring next year makes sense for their for the for a general election do you believe the the yes. rumours that are spinning around
0: yes yes to both those questions good okay yeah what about you yes to both those questions
1: yeah and I'm thinking do I do I come back <laughs> can you
0: vote remotely can you do a postal vote from the US oh, oh yeah
1: uh, well yes okay um but I'm like do I come back and campaign oh
0: surely if there was any time that it wasn't worth campaigning for labor it would be in this general election surely no it's...
1: but i'm thinking a campaign any for the places where tories are marginals and like be like yeah just anybody else <laughs> come on the anybody the anybody else campaign yeah i think i think i'd probably have quite a lot of fun
0: doing that wow, anyway. it's, uh, we can get some on the, on the scene reporting from jazza um, exceedingly don't... partisan reporting but you know still oh reporting. incredibly partisan no yeah yeah, i am biased so i, don't, you I don't can go think... to the
1: bbc if you want something that pretends to be unbiased
0: I, I i don't think the last hour has uh has demonstrated that we're an unpartisan podcast to mm-hmm. be fair mm-hmm. um anyway we're going to be talking about russell brand in our bonus segments but uh, you won't get to listen to that unless you sign up for the patreon so mm-hmm. consider doing that if i mean yeah, if 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 you haven't had enough Russell Brown related content <laughs> for the last two weeks. <laughs> um you could get well we do we talk about other stuff, you know, other other modish stuff. So and and there is there's now a, a decent backlog of bonus segments for you to listen to. Yeah. So go yeah, so, so so go go and go and do that if you're so inclined. Um For the rest of you, we'll see you when we can be both to upload again. Absolutely. Lovely. Yeah, speak to you later. Toodaloo.